Mindfulness Mode, 267. As soon as you even start to focus on your breathing, you've trained your mind to already go into that place of relaxation. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. If you're brand new, welcome to the show. If you're a listener that maybe you've listened to hundreds of episodes, it's great to have you back. Last day, we talked about bliss and what it means to build wealth using bliss, being blissful, allowing yourself to enjoy your life of wealth. And Monika is a true example of bliss. If you haven't heard this episode, I suggest you go back and listen. It's mindfulnessmode.com slash 266. Today, we're talking about NLP. And if you're not sure what NLP is, I think you'll find it interesting. It's called Neuro linguistic programming and my guest today explains what that means she talks about how this has been something that has really changed her life i think you will definitely get a lot out of it she mentions that she considers it mindfulness on crack so you'll find out what that means sit back relax and enjoy this episode with serena Hey, Mindful Tribe, I've got a wonderful guest with me today. This is going to be a lot of fun talking about this subject because we're talking about NLP and we've talked about neuro-linguistic programming before, but today we're going to be able to dive even deeper and talk more about this with our, our wonderful guest and it's Serena. I'll be introducing her in a minute. So Serena, are you in mindfulness mode? I am absolutely in mindfulness mode. I've already done my morning meditation before we got started. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, Serena. Serena Denmark is a certified hypnotherapist instructor, hypnotherapy. She teaches her clients to identify unconscious patterns and use NLP and hypnosis to make deep, rapid, lasting changes and isn't that what we would all want deep rapid lasting changes serena experienced a midlife crisis and she came to the conclusion that her beliefs were actually killing her that's when she attended an nlp course where she was the class guinea pig so that must have been kind of a very interesting experience to hear about through this experience she found her new passion in nlp and she never looked back So we're going to talk all about this. But first of all, what does mindfulness mean to you, Serena? So what mindfulness has come to mean to me is having an awareness of that higher perspective, even in the moment. So I'm I'm kind of a visual person. Um, So the way I, and I I didn't come up with this, I I heard this somewhere, but it really resonated with me. So it's kind of like this idea that your higher self is sitting on the mountaintop. And my human you know, self is down in the valley. And I might be wanting to rush ahead and get to the goal and, and reach that end you know, goal as quickly as possible. And I hit a roadblock and I, get, I might get frustrated. And the higher self can see that if I didn't hit that roadblock, there might be a sand trap or I might be headed for a cliff. <laughs> yeah. And I get to trust that even though 
I might get frustrated and I don't see what the purpose of this situation is, that there's a part of me that sees that actually the quickest way to get to my goal is to take this alternate route or go a different way. And just learning to trust that there's a bigger plan in place, a bigger, um, you know, life purpose, if you will. And I may not always see it in the moment. So even in those frustrating moments to trust that and find peace with the situation. Well, Serena, I want to talk about this midlife crisis. Was there something that triggered it? What was this like for you? So I was in a, um, an unhealthy marriage. Um, I didn't realize until I started studying NLP that I was recreating some patterns in my childhood over and over again. So I kept choosing um, the same type of person to be with that was recreating, you know, the relationships from my childhood that were unhealthy and dysfunctional. Um, So I had been, you know, I was raised very religiously. My parents were missionaries. And there's, you know, there's just certain beliefs that you should stay in a marriage no matter what happens and no matter what you may be suffering psychologically or otherwise. And it was trying to, you know, I was trying to force myself into this belief system, even though my soul was saying, this is, I'm healthy. This hurts. This is not good for you. And, and I finally just had to walk away um, from those beliefs that I've been taught were right and actually begin that journey of trusting my inner wisdom and listening to my own self. Right. So you actually lived in a missionary boarding school at one point. Isn't that right? That is true. And you had some experiences there that really made you feel humiliated, I'm guessing. Can you share a little bit more about that? So um, probably more than humiliation, I just felt very cut off, lonely, isolated. Um, I think, you know, this was an interesting situation. So I, I grew up in Zambia and I went to a missionary boarding school there. And it was kind of in the boonies, as you would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And it had been started in around 1925, and I attended around 1973, I would say. And everything was kind of set in time. It was really interesting. They had a water wheel to generate electricity. We only had electricity four hours a day. Um, of course, no television, no radio, completely mm-hmm. cut off from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, hot water was a drum that had a fire built underneath it. <laughs> okay. So, um, but we were kind of, you know, away from our parents. So there was no outside input. There was no one to run to, no one to discuss your problems with. And, you know, I think as a lot of those types of schools back in the day, they were strong on discipline, maybe light on love. (laughs) Right, right. So kids are going to find a pecking order. That's just human nature. I was at the bottom of that pecking order. And there was, you know, one girl in particular who kind of pulled the puppet strings of everyone And I had what I considered a best friend, but we would both be willing to betray each other and just abandon each other if we were chosen to be the favored friend that day by this, you know, girl at the top of the pecking order. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of betrayal, a lot of um, lost trust, and just a very, very lonely experience. And you said you basically took this into your adulthood, which I can totally understand. Tell me what that looked like as an adult. As an adult, I, you know, those um, little hypnotic suggestions that this girl at the top of the pecking order yeah. gave that you can't sing, you can't, you know, your hair's ugly, just little things like that, because she had all the power in my mind. 
Um, you know, I, I felt bad about myself. Um, I didn't really know how to bond with people. I think because I'd moved around a lot, I lost my ability to really open my heart to people and connect in a real way because I didn't know how to trust anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was one of the aspects that affected me. How old were you at that time and how long were you in, in that situation when you were a child? Okay, so um, I got to a different boarding school for one year and then I was went there about 10, age 10. Um, I was there for four years. And um, it was kind of an interesting situation because they even censored our letters. So if we wrote anything that our parents might find upsetting, they would make us rewrite our letters. So there was literally no communication, you know, or a way to reach for help. Or, you wow. Know. wow, that's hard to imagine. And, and now you know how to connect with people. How did that come about? Um, well, I'm sure it started with my, well, I would have to say, really, it started when I had children, you know, um, you can't not, well, I guess there may be some people, but I don't know how you could not open your heart and connect to your own children. And that's probably the first real relationships I had where it was just unconditional love and totally opening my heart. Um, before that, I lost my ability to imagine that I meant anything to people because I never had experienced that. So I just thought people are easy come, easy go. And, you know, but I knew that your relationship with your child is a relationship that lasts a lifetime. And so that I'm grateful to them that they connected me, reconnected me to my heart. And then through the process of the midlife crisis, as we talked about, I, I don't think I re recognize that that's what it was at the time. But when you uh, are standing in the grocery store line and you start crying because you can't control it and you're driving down the highway and you start crying because you can't control yeah. it, it's like, I think that might be a midlife crisis. Right, right. <laughs> well, let's talk about NLP and how that played a role. But first of all, would you tell us in relatively simple terms, if you can, what is NLP for those listeners who are kind of wondering what this is all about? Okay, well, that's a million-dollar question. Yeah, I but... know it is. I know it is. <laughs> okay, so NLP, just so it, you know what it stands for, is neurolinguistic programming. So you're using language to change people's programming in their subconscious mind, which then changes their neurology or how they feel, okay? Yeah. Um, my simple way of explaining it is NLP is awake hypnosis, okay? We know that in hypnosis, we're trying to get around that critical factor that keeps us from being able to communicate between the conscious and subconscious mind. NLP, in my opinion, is coming in the back door. What I mean by that is NLP actually uses the language of the subconscious mind. Conscious mind thinks in words, logic, it's rational. The subconscious mind is nothing of the sort. <laughs> it's emotional. It thinks in pictures, symbols, you know, and emotion. And so NLP uses symbolic processes. It goes in and changes movies. It changes pictures and emotion. And so you don't technically need hypnosis or trance because you're speaking directly to the subconscious mind in the language that it understands. So that's my simple way of explaining it. And how much of NLP is tapping? So tapping is actually EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. Okay. Um, I kind of want to, I've actually got this idea to come up with my own little thing called NLT, Neuro Linguistic Tapping. Okay. Um, they, they do go well together. 
Um, there's a gentleman named Robert Smith. Um, I, I'm a fan of his work. He calls his stuff faster EFT. And okay. essentially what I think he's doing is combining NLP and EFT because your tapping is um, breaking down those energetic connections in our body where we're storing the fear or this anxiety or whatever in our body. And it breaks that feedback loop between the brain and the body. Um, but NLP changes those pictures and, and meanings and relationships with ourselves and, and how we see ourselves in the world. And he combining those two is, is extremely powerful. And so how do you help others who have gone through challenges similar to yours? How do you help them through NLP to move on? So the first part of any um, process is to talk at length because the analogy I use is I was, I was a nurse for 25 years before I came into this business. Um, imagine there's 10 patients that come to the emergency room with abdominal pain. Mm -hmm. They could have 10 different reasons that are 10 different things that are causing that pain. So you can't just treat the symptom the same with every, every patient. Um, the same is true. You know, 10 people may have anxiety, but the way their brain has cre you know, constructed that problem or, you know, NLP always says a, a better question than why is how. How has your brain created a formula for anxiety? And so ask, it's a lot of questions to figure out how specifically they constructed that problem so that then we can deconstruct it and use the various processes to change the way they view it, feel about it, relate to themselves and the world. And do you have a case study. Can you tell us about a specific situation where you've helped someone and there's been a major transition as a result of it? Oh, too many to count, to be honest. <laughs> um, not to toot my own horn, but I, I basically, I tell people, if you haven't gotten results in three sessions, then you should see someone else because that's my gold standard is that we should get results in three standards and excuse me, three sessions. Um, just, you know, a little interesting case, someone came to me, you know, with a fear of elevators and normally with NLP, you would think, oh, great, fast phobia cure. They probably had a situation where they got trapped in the elevator and I'm just going to do a fast phobia cure, maybe do a little tapping, easy peasy, right? But occasionally people didn't have a bad experience in the elevator. They don't know why this fear, you know, started. And then you have to do a lot more digging. And so I, I think my real specialty is being a really good detective or super sleuth, figuring out what's going on. Um, and a situation like that, it, it can be related to basically more of a fear of not being in control. And there was even some elements of fear of dying, you know, which is the ultimate fear of control, mm -hmm. lack of control. And so really, you know, figuring out what's at the bottom of this. That's where I get my greatest satisfaction is when I'm like, yeah, I figured that out. I got it. Um, honestly, there have just been so many, so many stories, so many cases. I've got tons of reviews. You can go on Yelp, Google, or, or my website to right. read their words for how that, but probably the best for myself is just my own story. Um, yeah. So, so my first class, I said I was the class guinea pig. Yes, um, tell us I about was, that. I showed up in class in that state where I told you about where I was just crying uncontrollably every day. And uh, so, you know, I would get up to be the, the volunteer for him to demonstrate a technique on, and I'm just bawling and losing it. Um, 
And so then the, the next day when he would be looking for a volunteer, everybody just turns and looks at me like, we know you're the one with the issues. Get up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, here, I'm, I'm here for help. <laughs> so what was so interesting, though, so amazing. Before that, I could not talk about my childhood with those painful experiences at boarding school, et cetera, um, without crying. I couldn't do it. It was mm-hmm. so painful. And then after like just one or two processes with him, what I found was this really strange experience of, well, I can remember it, but I just don't feel sad anymore. Like, Uh what happened? Where did that go? It's almost confusing and you don't even know what to make of it because it's really is that transformative that quickly. It's almost a miracle. The sadness just dissolved. It just left. It was neutralized. So is it like looking, almost like looking at a movie where you didn't feel the emotion anymore? It was just... Absolutely. That's exactly what it was like. It's almost like it happened to someone else and you just, it wasn't in you anymore. I know these days there's a lot of talk about shame and the shame that we feel for certain reasons. And, and some of it comes out as, you know, it's sexual shame or it's because, you know, women in particular, I think, are, are mistreated in our society. I think there's tremendous amount of shame there. Do you find yourself dealing with this a lot? And, and tell us about that. So um, I absolutely did earlier in life, and that was a lot of religious shaming. Um, If you, I mean, I was born, you know, good old Southern Baptist fire, hellfire and brimstone, you know, you're born a sinner going to hell. Mm -hmm. Um, Shame for just who you are almost. It's almost like you should be ashamed just that you exist. I mean, that's how deep it goes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I had more than one divorce. So go ahead and put the scarlet A right on my forehead. Um, There's no coming back from that. Almost, you know, in that culture, um, because they have just to dig a little deeper, share my own psyche with you. Um, With some of these churches or or religions, um, there's the idea that, you know, if you sin, it's okay as long as you repent and turn from your sin. Right. But the problem with divorce is that the way they kind of think about it or talk about it is that as long as you, until you, unless you get back together with your spouse or ex-spouse, you're continuing to live in sin because you're not repenting and reconciling. So it's kind of like the sin that keeps on sinning or keeps on giving. And you never really um, can absolve your guilt from that. So you're kind of stuck in this constant, never ending state of shame where you're just guilty because of, of this forever. And so I had to completely rewrite my view of the world and what's true and, and find my truth within myself. And that that's probably the real gift, which someone even very recently, as recently as last week, helped me get to the bottom of, is that the gift through all of this is me learning to find God within myself rather than looking to somebody else's interpretation or view of God as my truth, you know, and trying to fit myself as a square peg into that round hole, just giving myself um, the permission and allowing myself to find God and my own truth within myself. And permission not to be thrown off by what other people think, right? And like Dr. Wayne Dyer always said, you know, another person's opinion of me is none of my business. Yes. And at first, you know, I heard that and I thought, wow, like that's, that's earth shattering. 
but I love it. <laughs> you know, chattering. Yeah. What do you yeah. mean it's none of my business? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's truly none of my business. It's it's about how I think of things and the world, and they can think what they want. Let just let it go. Right. And so I think it's not until we really develop that relationship with our inner self that we feel we're maybe even able to do that because we all need love, acceptance, approval. And as long as we're looking for all of those things outside of ourselves, then we are in that needy position where it matters so much to us what they think of us. And when we really develop that inner relationship, we become less codependent on that. Right. Serena, I want to ask you, you started studying NLP. How long was it before you started training other people and teaching people? So I'm actually just launching that now. Um, I've been doing NLP and hypnosis for about 12 years. Right. I feel like I mean, I've, I've studied tirelessly. When you fall in love with something and it becomes your passion, you right. don't have to have somebody pay you or tell you to, to study I have done plenty of online self-study as well, but I, I do love the in-person classes, but I'm always looking to learn, you know, see what this person figured out. Because once you explore that creative mind, the sky's the limit. You can make all kinds of changes in new and creative ways every day. It never gets boring. It never ends. Um, so I'm just starting the school now. I'm very, very excited. Um, I am certified with the National Guild of Hypnotists, so my students will actually be certified with them and have a, it includes a one-year membership with them, which is a nice little perk. So this will be a brick-and-mortar operation where you'll be meeting people one-on-one, is that right? So it, it will be um, meeting people in person, so it won't be one-on-one. It'll be me teaching, say, a group of 10 students, okay. something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how long will the sessions be and how how often would you usually get together with people? So I'm going, it'll be a 10 day intensive course, um, okay. Monday through Friday, weekend off Monday through Friday, 10 hours a day, um, jam packed full of information, lots of um, practice time. My goal is for everyone to leave feeling really comfortable, confident with their skills and that they're ready to start essentially a new career. Um, helping people and and have personal transformation, of course, in the process. And then I plan to support them online. Um, after that, have once a month group, you know, calls online so that if they, they can bring their questions, their difficult cases, and have that ongoing support, because that's something I never did have, and I think it's extremely valuable. Serena, when I first met you, you said, oh, I need to talk to your listeners about mindfulness on crack. <laughs> Can we talk about mindfulness on crack? We can. So um, I know you know all about mindfulness, and that's your mission to bring to the world. So what I find is mindfulness, as wonderful as it is, there's some people, myself included, that have a particularly active monkey mind, shall we say. Right. So mindfulness can be difficult to achieve in meditation because that's still maybe not enough to get those thoughts out of our mind. Why I call my self-hypnosis mindfulness on crack is because essentially the idea is that you're emptying the mind by filling the mind. But you're filling the mind with things that do take concentration, but they're of no concern. So you focus on the breathing, the air going in and out of the lungs and the nose at the same time. So that's two things to think about. 
Then I have them add imagining breathing in a color that they find relaxing, and then it relaxes their lungs, their bodies, it circulates through. And now that's three things to think about. Mm -hmm. Then we add a fourth thing, which is counting slowly in your mind backwards from 100. That's four things to think about. And then I add the fifth one. In between each number, you say relaxing more. And if you're really, truly focusing on all five of those things at the same time, it's almost impossible to think about those worrisome thoughts. And you're sending the own subconscious hypnotic suggestion to yourself to relax more. And it actually all comes together very effectively to work and really bring you literally within seconds into a state of feeling calm, relaxed, and peaceful. And then, um, so I actually recorded it. Um, if people want to go to my website, I put a downloadable version on there because, of course, it's very nice having somebody to guide you through it. Um, using a hypnotic voice, it's, it's a little bit more helpful until you get the hang of just doing this yourself. I use it to go to sleep at night. If I find myself lying awake, I'll be like, oh, why am I not using my self-hypnosis? It works within minutes to seconds sometimes. Wow, Serena, I love that. I want to ask you, do you meditate every day? I do meditate every day. I don't always go and officially sit in my meditation room every day. Um, and it varies, you know, the way that I do that. Um, I, I am visual, like I said, once again. So I like to visualize that pillar of white light coming down through my chakras. That's, I think, something that's been in ancient texts all around the world for thousands of years. Or sometimes I even... This is something I spontaneously did before I knew anything about meditation in college. If I couldn't sleep at night, I would just picture myself in outer space looking at the earth. So just kind of like dissociating myself from life's troubles and um, going off planet, <laughs> I find I'm completely um, disconnected or dissociated from all of life's troubles, worries, and I'm just able to connect in a different way to my spirituality or my guides or, you know, I may even go higher than that, go out into the, you know, solar system or beyond to connect, you know, visually to God. So that just works for me because my brain is very visual. Wow. I really love this. This is just so fascinating. And, you know, it makes me want to get into NLP more because I just think it's it's really a wonderful tool to help help you move forward in your life. Now, as we as we close in on the end of the interview, I want to ask you, Serena, five quick answer questions. So uh, just very quick 30 second answers are great. The first one is this. Uh, who is one person who has been influential in your mindfulness practice? Um, I would have to say my spiritual teacher, Colleen Fletcher. So she's not anyone who would recognize her name, but I saw her actually live um, love, non-judgment, and that's something that's tossed around a lot in, in spiritual circles, but she walked the talk and was a wonderful example to me. Wow. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Serena? Oh my goodness. Just being able to keep that anchor to calm, you know, it's kind of like the, um, the pond or the ocean. You've got the ripples on top, but that stillness underneath. So even when I may feel agitated or irritated or annoyed or whatever the case may be, um, 
I kind of, like I said, it's that dual experience, that higher perspective along, you know, the observer self, right, even in the moment where I can feel the, the ripples, but I still have that stillness underneath. Awesome. You've talked about breathing already, but can you sum it up? Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Absolutely. Um, so the breath is so powerful. Um, just physiologically, when you breathe really deeply, you're increasing your intrathoracic pressure, which puts stimulation on the vagus nerve, which literally slows your heart rate down and drops your blood pressure. So physiologically, deep breathing calms you down, just um, that. Also, I believe that as we breathe in deeply, we're breathing in prana or chi. So we're increasing our you know, wonderful energy that we're bringing into our body. And once you practice this self-hypnosis that's on my website, as soon as you even start to focus on your breathing, you, you've trained your mind to already go into that place of relaxation. Could you recommend a book, Serena, which is related to mindfulness? Well, it's probably one that you've had recommended many times, but The Power of Now. Yeah. Great <laughs> um, book. It's a great book. And really, the uh, downloadable self-hypnosis is actually has an observer piece to it. I got this from a, a gentleman named Warren Martin. Uh, we'd met on a Facebook group. We were practicing hypnosis. And he'd written the script about going into the observer mind. And as soon as I heard it, I'm like, that is genius. And it's a just an amazing experience of the observer rather than just having it as a concept. Right, I love that. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? I don't have an app. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, that's fine. Well, it's been really wonderful talking with me, and I, I appreciate all this that you're doing, and you're going to be training hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. How can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do? Tell us about your website, how we could connect with you on social media. Okay, so... Um... My website is BeLimitlessHypnosis.com, and you can find me on Facebook, Serena Denmark. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Serena Denmark on there, so that should Denmark like the country. Um, and I also have a Facebook page just, just um, called Be Limitless with Hypnosis and Other Cool Stuff, because I know that hypnosis is not the only you know, avenue to consciousness, but it's one door, it's one portal. For sure. Well, thank you for all the work you do, and thank you for being on Mindfulness Mode, Serena. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. All the best to you with your new endeavor, and uh, you take care. All right, you too. Yep, bye now. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.